Let's turn in our Bible this morning to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 23, and we're going to read from verse 15, Proverbs chapter 23. And verse 15. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Reading of course from the authorized version. (coughs) Proverbs chapter 23 verse 15. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice even mine. Yea, my reign shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Hearken unto thy father that beget thee. Despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. And he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bare thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babblings, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its colour in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mask. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. This morning is taken from Proverbs chapter 23 and in the verse 26 it reads as follows. My son give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. And my theme today is a call for young people to give God their heart. Now this is the fifth message in a mini-series I've entitled 
Truth For Youth. The other messages are on the church website, a call to remember your creator, a call to have faith in God, a call to stand and honor the Lord, a call to faithful service, and now this morning, the fifth message, a call for young people to give God their heart. Now, I've changed this message. would normally be preaching it tonight, but I want to preach it this morning. A call for young people to give God their heart. Really, it's a call for heart religion. You see, real Bible-believing Christianity, young people, is a religion of the heart. And I want to ask the question, does God have your heart? Now, I'm not referring to the central organ that pumps blood around your body. I'm referring to the real you, the very seat of your personality. That includes your will, your intellect, your affections. You see, real Christianity is a matter of the heart. And here's the big question. Is your heart, is my heart right with God? I want you to try and capture this truth this morning. I want you to let this truth sink into your ears and understanding. It's a simple text. It's straightforward, clear and plain. But I want this text to really be a spiritual arrow that comes into your very soul and being so that you're affected by it. I want you to seriously consider this message. Someone has rightly said that men and women, young people, can miss heaven by 18 inches. That's the distance roughly from your brain to your heart. You see, having a head knowledge of God while that's good, and of Jesus Christ and his person and work, and a head knowledge of the Bible as the word of God, and having a knowledge, a working knowledge of what we call our Protestant Reformed faith, knowing about heaven and hell, knowing about the need for salvation, sin and your soul, that's good. But that's not enough. Having your head filled with certain intellectual truths, is not enough. You can have that head knowledge and yet not have a real, true heart experimental religion. You see, God's truth must change your heart. It must transform your life. God's truth must govern the very way that you think and act and behave. So this morning I set before you with a certain degree of fear and trembling because I've been eating and sleeping this message for the past week. A call to young people to give God their heart. Listen to the text. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Notice three things here. First of all, the relationship that is addressed. My son. King Solomon is addressing one of his own children. He is speaking here as a father, my son. Of course, these words are not just applicable to King Solomon and his immediate family, because Solomon is a lovely picture of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In fact, he said during his life, a greater than Solomon is here. You see, Solomon, remember, is speaking and writing under the inspiration of God. And the words of Solomon 
are in reality the words of the living and the true God. God is speaking in and through Solomon. God is speaking in and through Solomon to all his children. I want you to think as you read the words of a father effectually addressing his son. As you read the words, I want you to think of a king. Because remember, Solomon's a king on the throne and he's addressing his son. As you read the words, I want you to think of a very wise man in middle age addressing his son. And of course, Solomon was a man renowned for his wisdom. And today, the Lord Jesus Christ stands among us and he addresses us as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He stands amongst us in the name of his Father. He said, the words that I speak are not my own, but the Father's. And he stands amongst us as one who's the very personification of wisdom. And I want you to notice who he addresses. He addresses my son. Let me ask the question, are you a son or daughter of God today? Doesn't the Bible tell us there in John's Gospel, in John chapter 1 and in the verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let me ask, have you received Jesus Christ by faith to be your Lord and Saviour? Have you trusted him to save you from the penalty and power and pleasure and one day from the very presence of sin itself? You see, if you haven't this morning, then the truth is that you're not a true child of God. And that's regardless of the church you attend. That's regardless of the ceremonies that you engage in. That's regardless of the ordinances you partake of. Are there not thousands on church rolls today who have never been born again of the Holy Spirit? Who have never been washed by faith in the blood of Calvary's Lamb? Aren't there thousands today of baptized little children in church assemblies but the reality is they've never been truly baptized into Christ there's a lovely little story told about two preachers in Chicago I can give you their names the late Henry Ironside and the late Pastor Willie Mullen this is a way back in the 60s or the 70s and in those days, the men of Chicago, they would have wore hats. And they would have tipped their hats, especially at the ladies, or if you were a dignitary and they knew you. Walking down the street in Chicago, Henry Ironside said to Willie, Willie, if they knew who we were, they'd be tipping their hats at us. Of course, Willie was thinking, knowing us as preachers, well, well they may not know us as preachers. And Henry Ironside says, no, I'm not thinking about that they know us as preachers. If they knew that we were the king's sons, they'd be tipping their hats at us. Doesn't the Bible tell us there in 1 John chapter 3, a lovely statement 
First John chapter 3 and verse 1, Beloved, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Though it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now are we the sons of God. Think of it. The infinite, eternal, unchangeable God addresses men and women and he addresses them as his children. My son, my daughter. And I believe this morning, of course, in the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of all men. But only in the sense of creation. All men are the offspring of God by creation. All men and women born into this world can trace their lineage back to Adam, the first man, and the first woman, Eve. Acts 17 verse 26 talks about the blood of all men. But I want to tell you, while God is the father of all men in a creative sense, in that men and women are made in his image, God is not the father of all men in a redemptive sense. The Lord Jesus said to Jews in his day, You're of your father the devil. John 8 and 44. You see, you have to be born into God's family by the new birth. You have to be brought into God's family by adoption. And the wonderful message of the Bible is this, that God has chosen a people in Christ before the foundation of the world. That God has called those people in time by the power of the Holy Spirit via the gospel as they hear the word of God about salvation. The Bible teaches that those whom God has chosen and called, he cleanses by the power of the precious blood of Christ. And God also cares for those people in the context of not only bringing them into a family and charging them about life and lifestyle, but he counsels them and comforts them because he's a loving, benevolent, heavenly father. So I want to press home that truth this morning. Is this true of you? Can the Lord address you today as one of his sons, as one of his children. You see, this is a special relationship. Suppose a stranger knocks on my door, says, Hello, Mr. McLaughlin. I want to come and live in your house. I, I like your house and I, I like your family. I want to be a member of your family. Uh, and I want to come and dine at your dining table. I, I want to have tea and supper with you. I like you a lot, Mr. McLaughlin. Now, now, what would I say to a stranger like that? I would say, but you're not a member of my family. This home's really reserved for members of the family. A stranger has no right or no privilege to come and live there because of that special relationship of father and child. This is a singular relationship. He says, my son. He's only addressing one of his children. wonder what the problem was with this son who's unnamed. There had to be a problem, as we'll see in a moment. Solomon, of course, had thousands of 
servants. Solomon had other children, but he's not addressing his servants. He's just addressing the members of the family. And of course, what he says to one child, he's saying to all his children. The son, of course, could never be expelled from the family. Just like the children of God can never be expelled, the true children of God, from God's family. Even when they do wrong. Even then, when they grieve and break the heart of their father. Even when their lifestyle choices become vile and sinful. The fellowship is broken. It's marred. But the relationship is not severed. And that was even true of the prodigal son. The father still loved the son when he was in the far country. It's a strange relationship. My. Remember, this is a king on the throne speaking. And I want you to think of Jesus Christ as king of kings and lord of lords. Let's think for a moment of who and what God is. The Bible says God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. Now when you think of who God is, think of the little chorus My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. And then think of how bad we are. Got to think of the immensity of God. His unchangeability. His sovereignty. His omnipotence. His his omniscience. He's all-knowing. And then think of ourselves. How, how, How sinful we really are. How insignificant as creatures we are. We deserve nothing but hell fire for all eternity apart from Christ. Dr. Frank McClellan tells this lovely story. He was in Toronto and there's a family there and they have moved away in the early days of his ministry. The father has eventually died and the mother contacted Dr. McClellan to do the funeral And in that funeral home, he met a young man. He didn't recognize him at the start. His name was Lennox, but but he he didn't recognize him. His head was shaved. He had a few tattoos. He had a few big holes in his ears for earrings. He had a fag in his mouth. He, He smelled of booze. His eyes were glazed over. And when he met this young man, the first thing he said to him was, Dr. McClelland, I've changed my mind about God. I do not believe anything that you preach or teach. I'm an atheist now. Dr. McClellan looked at him. And he said this, Lennox, if you're right, you have nothing to worry about. If your life view, your world view is right, you have nothing to fear. But if I'm right, you have plenty to fear. You have plenty to worry about. Because you're going to face God. And you'll meet God in your sin one day. And you're in danger of being damned eternally. And you need to repent and receive Christ and become one of his children. Doesn't the Bible say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him 
and he with me. The relationship that's addressed. That's the first thing. Let me ask you as I press it home. Are you today, right now, in a special, singular, but strange relationship with God? Through the new birth and faith in Christ. Notice, secondly, I want you to think of the resource that is addressed. If you look at the text, it says, My son, give me thine heart. Underline the words, thine heart. Here's what God desires. Here's what God demands. Here's what God deserves. What does God want? God wants something off you. There's not a strange thing. It's not mysterious. And what does God want? God wants your heart. Now, you're well aware that he wants your service. He wants you to use your eyes for him, your mouth for him, your hands for him, your feet for him. He wants you to think and use your mind for him. That's a duty of God's people. You know, he wants your substance. I have tried to teach you that early in life, one-tenth of your income you should be giving to God. You can't afford not to tithe. If you're working, you should shoulder some of the responsibility in relation to the general income and upkeep of the church. The treasurer will tell you, as you'll see in the financial report, it's down from other years. There's a blessing of God tied to tithing. So if you get £10 and you earn that, £1 belongs to God. If you earn £100, £10 belongs to God. If you earn 1000 a 100 belongs to God. And, and that's only the start. The, the tithing's only the start. As we said last week, we, we talked about the offering. You're well aware of that. And you know he wants your sacrifices. C.T. Studd was right. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. But I want to tell you, you can serve God in the church and be busy in the form of duty with the exercise of your other bodily functions. And you can give your substance to the work of God faithfully, the tenth, uh, the tithe, and over and above that, the offerings. You can make certain sacrifices of your time and talent in the work of God. But you can do all that and still have no heart in it. It can be void of heart religion. We sometimes sing all to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender all. We sing that. But do we really? What does God want? God says... I want your heart. Nothing less will do. There's no bartering. You, you, you can't offer to God, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. God wants our hearts. Think of our hearts for a moment. Times they can be cold and be a lack of love. God often comes to us. Christ appears and Asked us, lovest thou me more than these? 
think of Delilah's statement to Samson. How can you say that you love me if thine heart is not with me? So our hearts can be cold. Our hearts can be careless. They can be full of selfishness. They can be distracted. They can be at a distance from the Lord. Our hearts can be dry. And, 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 and not only that, but our hearts can be corrupt. We, we, we can have a, 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 an inward love for sin and sinful things. And yet the Lord says, and I'm amazed at this, that corrupt, cold, careless heart, that's what I want. Of course, isn't the first great commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. See, let me tell you this, if God hasn't got your heart, he'll not accept anything else. God is asking for your heart, young people, man or woman. Not the organ that pumps the blood around the body. No, not the central organ that maintains the body, but the real you. He wants the very seat of your affections, your will, and your intellect given over to the Lord. See, all the service we can render, and all the sacrifices we can make, and all the substance we can bring, and the singing that we offer, and the speaking that we do in his name, and even the supplicating at the throne, it's only acceptable when it comes from the heart. You see, if the heart is not in it, then it, it means nothing to God. Think of Mary and the box of spikenard. It cost 300 pence, a, a year's wages. What did she do with that box? She came and broke it over Christ. Not only did she pour the contents on Christ, but she broke the actual box over Christ. Why? One simple act of devotion. It's mentioned in the Bible. Why? Do you want me to tell you why? Because her heart was in it. And that's what God wants. The resource that's addressed is your heart. Think of why. God has good reason to ask for your heart. It's very simple. Many other things vie for your heart's affections. The Christian isn't immune from other voices. The world, of course, wants to squeeze us into its mold, its anti-God, anti-Christian agenda. Our flesh vies for our heart, the pull and lure of indwelling sin. Self wants the heart. Self wants you to hold back from making a, a full surrender and a real entire consecration to God. And of course the devil, old Satan. That's his ploy and tactic. So that he can lead you to ruin and bring you to poverty. Think of the story of the prodigal son. You see, we live in a day when there's little heart, really, for the things of God. When it comes to the house of God. They're talking about falling attendance now at churches. Thinking about the day of God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Think about the word of God. And I say this as a preacher, and I say it respectively to my own heart, first of all. So often we can hear sermons, we can listen to a message I can listen to the best of men preaching. Dr. Ian Paisley, still on the internet. Reverend John Greer, Dr. Cairns, many other good godly men. And so often the word of God goes in one ear and out the other. And the word doesn't change us. The word doesn't affect us. 
our, our, our will isn't engaged. There's not a, a paying heed. We're not phased and affected and broken by it. Why? Well, well, it's a sign, isn't it? That our heart is not in it. And we're all guilty. And this preacher's in front of the line. We read last week, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And here's a most important thing this morning to realize. The world wants your heart. Self wants your heart. Satan wants your heart to to rob you and ruin and destroy you. And here's the reason. Here's why God wants your heart. Because when God is your heart, God has all that there is. He has got it all. He's not asking for other parts of the body, the eye, the ear, the hand, the foot. He's not asking for your time, your tithe, your talent, or your testimony. If God has your heart, then God has got all that he needs because it all belongs to him. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. It's first. And if he has your heart, then you love him with your soul and your mind and your strength. And what is needed in our day is real heart religion. Let me tell you another little story. This is a true story. A young woman brought up in a godly home, loving father and mother, saved, brought to a Bible-believing Protestant Reformed church, grew up in the Sunday school and the children's meetings, sat in church services, sat in gospel meetings. And you know, as she sat there, this little voice in her head said, It's not true. It's not true. You don't need to be saved. There's a big world out there and you can go out and enjoy yourself. She listened to the voice that was in her head. The Bible stories are not true. I want to tell you young people, they're all true. I believe in the infallibility and the inerrancy of the word of God. And these are real, true, historical stories. Whether it's the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, the story of the ark, uh, Noah and his family, the, the, the story of Moses and Mount Sinai. We could go on. They're all true. This young girl was sitting in, sitting in church, one of our churches, saying, it's not true. She ended up living far away from home she ended up living in filthy squalor lying in a dirty mattress a house with other young people there was drugs and drink and and a moral lifestyle involved and when she was asked why and she was asked why by a preacher you've left a good home dear a bible believing church And you've left it for this filthy squalor? Why? Here was her answer. I don't know. That was all she could say. I don't know. Well, I'll tell you. The world, the flesh, and the devil had got her heart. Because if Christ had her heart, then she would never have left in the first place. The prodigal son left home for the far country, for riotous living, because his heart was not right with God. Notice lastly, not only the resource that's addressed here, but the responsibility. 
I was really struck with this. Give me. You see, God is demanding. God not only desires something of you this morning. God not only deserves something from you this morning. But God is demanding. Because he's God. The Lord God. And what's he demanding? A willing Earnest transaction to take place. God is asking something of you today. Something that's rightfully his to take. If you're saved this morning, your heart is his property. If you're his child, remember 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You're not your own with a bought, for, bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And how do you glorify God in your body? By giving him your heart. He's your creator and maker. God is the sovereign Lord of the universe. And yet he comes here and he asks, give me. And he doesn't ask to gain something. It wouldn't make God better or richer or bigger. The ones that have to gain are us. We have lots to gain. When you make a full surrender to the Lord, when you decide, I'm going to live a life of entire consecration, and I realize this morning, God wants my heart, and I'm going to make Christ the Lord of my heart. See, see, I'd be concerned about some who profess the name of the Lord, and yet the Lord doesn't possess their heart. C.T. Stubbs said, if Jesus, Christ be, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And our duty, our responsibility, God says, give me. No half measures, no holding back, no half-heartedness. God is speaking. Let me finish as we close. Is your heart divided this morning? The psalmist said, unite my heart to fear thy name. He realized that there was a possibility and a reality that he had a divided allegiance to God and the things of the Lord. And we could talk this morning about business. We could talk about hobbies. We could talk about family. We could talk about the farm. But none of these things must be at the expense of a heart being withheld from God. I finished this morning with a reference that Sammy made in the prayer meeting. It was in Sammy's mind this morning as he came up the road. And it's this. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, speaking to God's people, those that are saved, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Give me. What do you want, Lord? You want my time? You want my talent. You want my tithe. You want my testimony, Lord. Your heart. Because when he gets your heart, then he has everything else. There's the responsibility that is stressed. That's a duty that's pressed upon us this morning. The Lord comes to us and he says, I'm your heavenly father. I've chosen you from all eternity. I sent my son to redeem you with the precious blood. I've adopted you into my family. I made you one of my heirs. I made you a joint heir with my only begotten son. I provide for your every need. I take care of you when you face trials and difficulties. 
I am with you in the onward march of life. I, I, I have given you all you need for loving me, for holiness and obedience to me. I've given you my law. I've given you my love. One day I'm going to bring you to heaven. I've given you all this. Now I want something back. I want your heart. Will you say this morning, take my heart, Lord? Will you come and tell the Lord you're sorry that you have a divided heart? And will you ask him to forgive you in the ground of the blood? And present your heart in a daily and a weekly basis. And say, here it is, Lord. You've got all there is. I'm thine. May the Lord take these few words and bless them to you this morning.